I had to shake him on my last case, big O don't play. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Musky Hunks Podcast. I am one of your hosts here tonight. We're missing our traditional intro man, Ryan Reed. So uh, it's Owen here, and I'll be kind of running the show here tonight. I got three other hunks on the line. We got, let's start with our main man up north, Nick Fiesler. Stodging the tornado warnings tonight. Ah, oh, dude, there was, yeah, there was a tornado warning down here. Like the swim meet just... All the kids booked out of the swim swimming pool because there's a tornado warning. Swimming pool is the safest place to be. Is that right? Yeah. Not in a thunderstorm. Well, in a tornado. <laughs> but they and we all come hand in hand most of the time. Yeah, swimming, normally. Swimming pools. <laughs> well, we also got on the line here, uh, Donnie Swink. Swink Outdoors. What's up, oh, Donnie boy? God. What's up, guys? Oh, God. How you been, man? I'm good. Glad to be back. I figured uh, getting here to see Glenn tonight was worth coming out of retirement for. I missed him the first time. I couldn't miss him twice. Absolutely. Well, it's good to have you. And last but not least, we got Tommy Two Crocs, Mr. Saddle Tramp Bates himself. Yellow. Tom Vanetta. How you doing? Doing good, man. How I are wanna, you? Uh, good. I want to extend thoughts and prayers to Ryan missing tonight. He, uh, he got his wiener stuck in the Blackstone, and he's he's undergoing reconstructive dingus surgery. So everybody, just keep him in your thoughts. And we got a bleeder. Yeah, he, he didn't have he didn't have he didn't have a whole lot to lose either. So I'm hoping he's all right. How did he get the beans oh, over top man. of the flanks? <laughs> just slammed right. it right in the lid. Well, I'm I'm excited here tonight, despite Ryan's uh, franks and beans issues. I'm excited because we got a guest here tonight, and it's a re- uh, a repeat guest and someone who has been uh, a supporter of the podcast from day one, and we've really appreciated his support. And that is Glenn McDonald from Fifty Four Bust. Uh, that's his YouTube channel, and also I guess Fifty Four Bust Guide Service. So, Glenn, glad to have you back, brother. How's the season Hi. going so far? Well, I, first off, I appreciate the invite back. When you reached out, Owen, to have me back, I was like, Jesus, they are hard up for guests when they're reaching back <laughs> to me. Um, but I do appreciate it. I, I love talking muskies. And so far, Tom, the season's been going pretty solid. It's been strange up here because we started with like super, super hot weather. Lakes heated up really quick and then about two weeks ago we got like these major cold fronts rolling through with storms so the lakes have kind of dropped back down to kind of classic temperatures and things are just starting to really pick up for us up here but it's been good we got some good fish in the boat we got lots of content for the youtube side of it so that way everything's been going good but yeah i just you know i'm Really thankful you guys reached out, and I'm honored to be back on because I always love listening to your guys' podcast. You guys have had some really great episodes lately. I love the fact that you guys kind of reach outside of the the normal reach of musky guests, and you have some really interesting guests and, and people that I know I wouldn't have heard of otherwise, and I'm sure your listeners probably feel the same way. So kudos to you guys. Well, I appreciate you. that, man. I appreciate that a lot. Well, I we remember when we had you on the first time around, uh, if our listeners want to go back, that's episode 29. Uh, so, shit. but 
you know, we had a, we had our plans to talk a lot of shield musky talk because for our listeners that haven't gone back and listened to episode 29, Glenn is not local here. Glenn is from the Sunset Country area in, in northwestern Ontario, right? That is correct. So my wife owns Bobby Sports Shop in Vermilion Bay, which is basically on the shores of Eagle Lake. So where I'm situated, Eagle Lake is 10 minutes either way of me to to basically get on the lake, just to put that in perspective. Lake of the Woods is an hour west. Lac Sewell would be an hour north. Wabagoon's 20 minutes. Cedar Lake, which I was on today, is like 20 minutes north of me. So I'm right in the hub of Sunset Country Muskies. Yeah, that's kind of right in the heart of it. Jeez. So do you guys open the same time as like uh, Georgian Bay for your your season? What is that, third Saturday in June? Third Saturday in June, yeah. We're the, basically the last opener is is us and the Georgian Bay guys. Um, so yeah, we, we're watching everybody, especially the Southern guys fishing early. We got a lot of envy, I'll tell you. Really we're itchy. still sitting here, yeah. We get pretty antsy. Well, that's, you know, you do, you, not only do you do the YouTube content creation, you actually, you do guiding for, for guests, but not as a full-time job, right? No, I have a full-time job outside of the fishing industry completely. That's a full-time career. Um, and the guiding is just a bit of a side kind of side hustle project. I try to limit my guide days to usually around 10 a year. This year, I think I'm at like 18 because it's hard to say no, and I just, we get a lot of interest. The YouTube stuff has really driven a lot of interest towards what it is oh, yeah. that we do, which is great. And I appreciate it. And I help my wife out a lot at her shop. So we're busy up here and you got to try and cram 12 months of musky fishing into essentially four months here. So it's busy, busy. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. pretty, uh, yeah. I mean, that's awesome that you got, you know, a couple of different kind of avenues that you that you you can use in in the musky industry i i mean i know i follow you on on youtube and i think your videos are you know everyone everyone on youtube has their their thing you know everyone is kind of has a different angle and i know i personally appreciate your angle of of you know not teaching in terms of like uh you know basic teaching you're you're more of an advanced teaching in terms of shield tactics would you agree with me on that uh yeah i would and i appreciate that um you know i think everybody on youtube has their spot and then i think i probably had said it the last time we spoke that i can't go out and out brian for brian scaife at angling anarchy he's got his thing and i like what he does i can't do doug wagner he does what he does i can't do you know robbie at today's angler. So we thought we have to do something a little bit different. And we just started, you know, kind of just press record. That's the easiest thing. Right. And we started recording, we started kind of capturing what it was we were doing. And the first season, because we didn't get as much content during the summer as we kind of needed to get through the season, the winter, because with YouTube, you got to be consistent if you want to, you know, get anywhere with that algorithm. So we started looking at ways of repurposing some of that content. And I just thought a good way of doing it was let's break down 
some of the shield areas. And one of the easiest ways to do it was let's talk about the spring to summer transition, the summer to fall transition, some weed tactics, some deep rock tactics. And we were able to go back into my shop or the man cave, we call it, and do some whiteboard stuff. And that just really proved to be popular with the viewers. And that was kind of an angle that we didn't really see coming. It was one that once we started doing it and the feedback was really positive that we were like, okay, this, we've kind of found our niche or whatever within the YouTube community. And that's kind of been our calling card right now is that teaching, showing what we do, but teaching what the actual tactics were on the water, because it's easy to watch a video and it's just a catch fest. Oh, these guys got eight muskies really cool they got one nice one but how does that help me as an angler so we thought you know what we will try and and share as much as we can and to put it honestly we share a lot of content and a lot of information that at times i feel you know we could probably hold some of it back but i just i read so much and i i watch a lot of you know youtube content myself i listen to a lot of podcasts within the youtube community within business within you know a a lot of different things and one thing that always comes up is if you can give the most information for 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 free to people people are just going to find so much value in that that they're going to search you out no matter what and i don't know what podcast it was i think it might have been a a musky fishing one i just don't remember who they said do your stuff make your content as good as you can possibly get it and the people will find you if it's that good it's just going to rise to the top and we're striving for that I, I know we're not perfect but that's kind of our goal with it well that's that's cool so <clears throat> we wanted to talk some more specific fishing here tonight in the sense that uh, as i'd mentioned earlier i don't know if it was before we hit record or not but you know we have a, a trip to nipissing that we go on for the first week of september and it's an odd week up there because the weather can be really really hit or miss you know up it's it's north enough that the first week in september can really feel like fall at times like you you can really have a, a cool down where last year when we were up there We had the exact opposite. We had rising temperatures the entire week and, you know, we struggled, completely struggled. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about kind of what you would recommend for people who are going on a trip to the, to the shield when you might get, it's, it's September, you know, it, you, it's kind of a hit or miss type of a month, especially that far North. So what would you kind of look for or, tell guys to kind of maybe think about as they're, as they're preparing. So summer patterns pretty well last until we get the first major cold fronts. So for us up in sunset country, that's usually, it can be as early as, as early August or as late as like the 20th or 25th of August. And what I'm talking is that, that really hard swing to the North two or three, four days of just cool, wet weather and sustained winds. They drive the lake temps right down and the ambient air temperatures go right down and that shuts the fish down. And September, generally speaking, like you're saying here, Owen, is you can get hit and miss weather and that makes it really tough. I know a lot of people will say September is the hardest month to fish because of that. 
a lot of guys have really good luck in September because if you're on top of the bite and you're following the fish, they'll pack up and you can really be successful. So look and see what the weather's going to do. Say if you're coming up to Sunset Country or you guys are going to, to NEP, a week or two out, look and see what that long range forecast is going to be. And if you guys are seeing a big cool down, then typically, okay, cold front stuff, the fish are going to get into extreme cover and that's going to be whatever the available cover is. If it's weed related, they're going to be right in the dirtiest, sloppiest weeds. And if it's rock related, they're going to be in what's going to be your warmest water out of weather, out of wind, out of current. So think, you know, like the back of a, of a rocky point that can be out of the wind. And you're going to want to try and find that those leeward sides because the fish coming out of those cold fronts, they're just going to hunker down. And until you get a swing in the weather, they're not going to be very active. Okay. That's, that's a really, that, that, I'm sorry, Nick, that's a really interesting thing because when I think of fishing, uh, you know, these windswept rock outcrops, you know, like, uh, you know, shoals that are exposed. I'm thinking that the fish are setting up on the windy side for the bait being pushed onto that rock reef. Does that make sense? But yeah. where are you saying, are you saying the fish were, were, are more going to be setting up around the, the leeward side? Right. I think that's what Glenn's saying. He's saying yeah. fish, fish, the you know, the current side. that's coming out around the rock. So I, I think we're talking about two different kind of scenarios here. Okay. You're right. Owen thinking that, if it's a sustained weather system, okay, you guys go up to net, the weather's been pretty stable, but it's calling for a northwest wind, but not a real big drop in temperature. Yeah, those fish are going to sit up where that bait's pushing in. But what I'm kind of saying is if you are all of a sudden, you show up and it's a huge cold front and that weather swings way cold, then those fish are going to be hitting that tight structure, tight cover, and they're not going to be setting up looking to feed in most cases. In most cases, they're going to be just trying to get out of that weather, looking for warm water, looking for, for protection. But then when you get through that three or four day cycle and it starts to warm up or the wind switches around to the west or the southwest, then those fish are going to become active. And if I can relate that to what I just seen today, this past week, I've been guiding pretty well every day, and we went through three days of on and off rainstorms, just one after another after another. Like you'd be putting your bibs on, taking them off, put your bibs on, take them off. We we're getting fish every day, but it was like micro, micro bite windows in between all the storms. And um, Wednesday, we went out on Eagle and we had clearing and the fish were starting to move because it had warmed up, but it took basically a moon phase at the end of the day to actually get those fish fired up. And today when I went out again, we're kind of a couple days post frontal and the fish were starting to get more active. But again, today it was moon related. We started to see some fish when we had moon rise and I was off the water before we had moon overhead, which would have been right about as we're speaking now. And I think the fish would have fired up. So it's, it's all about timing and I just think one of the biggest things that people get trapped in when they come to the Shield Lake and, and Eagle Lake's a prime example because people come up here and they're like, 
it's Eagle Lake. We're going to fish it. We're going to catch fish. But if you catch it at an off period where we have a cold front or the exact opposite, that that real high bluebird skies for three or four days, that lake can shut right down and those fish will just hunker down and cover. You can see them. And now with live scope, I've been running this year. We're seeing fish. We can pull them off structure 10, 15, 20 feet. They stop 30 feet from the boat and they go right back to the same spot. It's frustrating as all hell, but you know they're there and then it be, just becomes a timing issue. It's like, I have to hit those bite windows. That's what I was thinking of. And for the last two years we had, or the two years ago, my first trip to Nipissing, there had already been that cold cool down. The lake was already at like 55 degrees or something like that. Right. And it had kind of like stabilized in that colder, you know, kind of whatever period of the year. And we did well. And then last year we had that blue board, hot, you know, high pressure front that was just like too nice of weather, essentially. It's summertime, Indian summer, if you will. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Nick. When you guys did good a couple of years ago, were those fish uh, moved up shallow? Uh, I guess that whole lake's pretty shallow, you guys are saying, but yeah, most of the most of the cast or all our casting fish came real shallow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So here in September, after we get a couple hard cold fronts, the fish typically tend to move super shallow. So the mid part of September until even early October, if we have that Indian summer again and the weather stays pretty nice, the fish will move up on sand, move up on shallow rocks, and you can get them. Um, like right tight on structure a few years ago we did the nestor falls musky cup and it's lots of good sticks in that tournament and that year dave and i, I think we got six or seventh and we were casting onto the sand beach with spinner baits to get behind the weeds dave would actually land on the beach pull that spinner bait like lebowski's we we're using drop time tackles and then pull them into the weeds he wasn't actually catching the fish but the fish would chase the spinner bait out of the sand and i would pick them up typically with a diving riser, a Bondi Royal Orba casting parallel to the weed line. And we were kind of working together. But the point I'm trying to make is that hmm. when they do that shallow transition, like you can't think of too shallow, they will be right on the sand, like to the point where you can physically see them on the beaches. Hmm. That sounds a lot like the advice we got last year, whenever we were really struggling Yeah. and Danny Columbia was like, shallow. super shallow. He's like, go super shallow. Uh, and you know, we still, I don't think we really went super shallow when right. I don't, maybe we didn't execute it, but we didn't see any fish super shallow either. That's what I feel like. I don't know. What do you think, Glenn, as far as the super shallow, you almost want to be inside the weed line where that wave action is like clearing that inner stretch. Whereas on Nipissing, I feel like most of the areas, the weeds are right to the, the shoreline. There's no. There isn't that nice, you know, inside weed, weed inside line ring. Yeah. Inside yeah. beach. Yeah. So I think in that case, Nick, I would, I would try and position my boat. So you guys can cast almost right to shore and see if you pick up fish that are even on a weed line that doesn't have an inside edge. It has an artificial inside edge just by the fact that it's running out of water, right? There's going right. to be shoreline and those fish obviously can't go any shallower than what they need to swim in, but that's going to be the warmest water available, especially if it's a thick cabbage patch. 
that acts as like a breakwater to keep a lot of that cooler water that might be pushing in with wind and or current. So those fish are going to sit super shallow. And it's something we see up here so often when, when Americans or guys from Southern Ontario come up to our shield lakes and they come up with Intel from a year ago or two years ago. And they're like, okay, we're going to try this but that's not the pattern when they get here. And they ask the guys at the lodge or the guides or, or whoever, and somebody says, Oh, you got to fish shallow or you got to fish, you know, a different style. And they're like, okay, well, we'll try it. They try it for an hour. They're not comfortable with it. And then they go back to what they were doing. And then they wonder at the end of the week, why they never caught any fish, but it's just not being willing to adapt enough. And for speaking for myself and David, we used to be bad for that. We would, go out on a weekend, we'd move a lot of fish, we'd catch, you know, six or seven over a weekend. Next weekend, we go out and we're like, where the hell are all the fish? And we, we would get frustrated at ourselves. And about four or five years ago, it was mid part of August, and we had a really warm spell in August. And we we're struggling to find some fish. And in fact, we had said the one day we're like, well, it's like 1130. We haven't seen anything all morning on like lots of a spots. We're like, well, let's go over to our buddy Steve's camp. We'll have beer with them, have lunch, whatever. And so I reached into the cooler in my boat and I grabbed a couple slices of pizza. I'm like, oh, we'll have a slice of pizza and we'll head in. And I was like, well, let's just throw some trolling baits out just for the hell of it. We'll troll back to the landing. And in 45 minutes, we got four fish and the smallest one was 43. And we were like, where the hell did that come from? That come from the fact that we were fishing shallow structure when we should have been moving out to deep water because those fish were sitting out over deep water. And now I'm a big preacher of fish deep water because it kind of opened our eyes to it. And that's not something that that's new to me. Like I've heard that from guys like Herbeck and Pete Mayna and you know, all the guys, Booker. It's just, it's hard to practice it when you have no confidence in it. And I think that's where lots of musky guys struggle. It's how do I gain confidence in something that has never worked for me? That is, that is a point that we've discussed in the past that, you know, I just speaking for myself, you know, if I've never caught a muskie on rubber i'm less inclined to fish rubber i'm more inclined to fish the jerk baits that i've been catching fish on or the bucktails i've been catching fish on you know it's kind of like you have to break yourself out of the patterns that you find yourself in and i quite frankly haven't don't fish enough during the year to be able to do that i'm hoping that this trip to nipissing i'll be able to explore things and fish you know some big rubber off of off of steep break lines where i just can't do that at the at my lake that's what, that just, was. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Nick. That was the one thing, like, kind of how we were talking it, with the shallow. Like the one fish we contacted casting was a, on a shallow tube, you know, working over the weeds, and you know, I never would have tried it if we probably weren't striking out on everything else. Right. But, I think so. you touched on something there, Owen. That you don't fish enough during the year to either have the time or want to try something different. And I think for a lot of people, and I get a lot of messages and comments on the YouTube and, and their socials and guys asking a lot of questions coming up to shield lakes. And what I hear a lot is, Oh, I fish, you know, the weekends I might get out, you know, one or two weekends a month back home, but I'm going to Canada and I'm going to fish hard for six days and, and I want to get it done. 
that's almost a recipe for disaster because you're coming to Canada. You're not really in, you know, game shape and you're going to fish the style that you're comfortable with. And when you come to some of these lakes and we're on a deep, you know, a deep breaking line bite or, or the rubber bites on, or you, you know, you're coming up here to fish bucktails in July and the fish aren't really set up for that guys struggle and they really have a hard time. So we always try to give ourselves 20% of our day to try something new, whether it's a new spot, a new bait, a new tactic, a new, just a new something. And we've stumbled on some bites that we would otherwise never would have tried. That's a, that's actually something I, I wanted to talk to Nick about, like, let's be conscious of that this year, you know, because I know myself, I get in the habit of throwing the same four baits, five baits, because I've caught fish on them before that I feel very comfortable working them. And that's, you know, it's just a comfort bait, you know, I, but if, I think we need to, I definitely need to step out of my comfort zone because this is the only time that I have the opportunity to do that. Like, you know, if I can cast a, a tube for an hour during the day when I would normally be casting a jerk bait, like I want to do, I want to cast the tube and see if I can, because I, I agree. I think the moment I catch a fish on a tube, I'll be hooked on it, you know? That's and one it'll of those give things me the confidence. I like to, you know, experiment when I'm when morale's low <laughs> and uh you know change out try different things and then I feel like I have a I don't know I have confidence in my you know I don't know what you call it self-evaluation as to what what action in a bait's gonna work so then if I find you know while I'm tinkering around switching through baits if I see one that I like then I'll try to pursue that for a while until you either make something happen or get get morale lower. <laughs> I think for us, for me personally, and for Dave, you know, if I speak for Dave, because he's kind of, you know, my right-hand man and, and this 54 bus stuff, we kind of come at it twofold because we work with so many bait companies and too bad Ryan wasn't here. He kind of helped me get hooked up with Leo Lures and that yeah. come right off of your guys' podcast. And, and Todd sent out some stuff, you know, over and above. So like, that was great. But the point I'm trying to make is like, we work with so many different companies. We get so many things to try that you feel somewhat obligated to kind of work them into the rotation. And yeah, how do you find the time to actually, you know, it's one thing to, okay, water test things and say, oh, this feels good. But like you really got to take some time to fish this stuff to really get a feel for whether you like it or not. I mean, how do how the hell do you find find the time to do that? We're on the water a lot, and yeah, our water testing at my cabin. So all that clear water stuff that we run on the YouTube channel, that's probably ten percent of what we actually do. Dave and I spend whole days testing, videotaping, running through. I got just hard drives full of stuff that you know we just have content for days but we use it for ourselves like oh i like the way this bait runs i like the way that bait runs and this year we got some um baits from pandemonium and kevin sent us some of his srj some of his marvins and right away we put that srj in the water and i was like that perch one that thing is just straight up money that's going to catch a fish opening weekend i put it on and I had confidence, like you're saying, Nick, 
that I knew I could work that bait well enough to get the action I wanted out of it. And we opened the season with like a 42 inch tiger. So when you start with that kind of confidence, it's like right away, you have confidence in that bait. I went out guiding a day later, got another fish on it. And now it's like, it's steady in the rotation. Um, Mark from Red October sent us a package of baits. And I've always struggled with tubes because they, while they work, they're, to me, they always feel situational. Like you got to use it in the right spot. And I'm like, I'm going to use tubes more this year. So we were out a few weekends ago and David's at the front. My brother-in-law's at the front and I'm just ripping a twisted tube at the back in like a walleye pattern. I stick another nice tiger and now I'm throwing the tube more and I've got like five or six fish on the tube. And it just, you, you build that confidence because you caught one fish on it. And, and that just starts that, I don't know what it is. It just, you just, you reach for that bait now. And today while I was out, I was reaching for a couple other baits and I hadn't used a suic in a while. So I reached in and I grabbed my original silver jailbird suic, which I have so much confidence in. I put it on and like 10 casts later, I caught like a 36 inch, nothing that's going to break the internet, but it was just subconscious. It's still a, it's still a confidence builder. Yeah. Subconsciously. I'm like, ha thing still works so you just get that good feeling and then i put it back in the box but i know that somehow i just know that that bait's going to work and when you get stuff like that to work it, it's so much easier as a musky angler and on top of all that you just keep trying to rotate baits through you know your arsenal and stuff that i normally you know wouldn't have thrown and it just, it's a good boost for confidence in the boat. It's, it's great for content stuff for our YouTube. And it's a great learning tool because then when we do a talk in the garage or a breakdown, we have real on the water experience with that lure. And that to me is valuable. If I could see somebody you know, as I was growing up learning how to musky fish, show me how this lure works, show it in the water and, and show me how you use it and have success on it. That's just valuable information. And that's, that's how we feel about it. I got to tell you. you. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Nick. What, uh, so the twisted tube you were talking about, that's the one with, uh, you know, split tail kind of looks like a toad tail. To yep. It. Um, what what weight or uh what harness are you running in that pretty much mid mid yeah. harnesses and all of the tubes okay. um now is that like, the one with the, the single hook molded in or yeah and on that single hook we generally put a treble right behind it and we'll add a couple split rings in front of it shrink wrap it all together and then run a split ring through that single hook so the treble hangs just out of the back of the tube itself and it doesn't really interfere with the twin tails. If okay. it hangs too far out the back, it'll interfere. But there's lots of times where that treble at the back will actually have the fish on it. If they don't headhunt it, they'll grab it kind of by the tail. And a lot of times that single hook facing up isn't enough. So that's okay. that's kind of how we rig it. Pretty much all our tubes we rig that way. I don't hardly ever put a lot of trailers on them some of them will run that little spinner blade out the back but again we pretty much build our own harnesses for the back end of them okay i've been really liking the the light rig and i almost work it like a glide bait it just kind of taps side to side for over yeah. like oh, real in the thick weeds for yeah 
and that's a that's a great way to use them and we i actually have a couple set up like that and there was a bite a few weeks ago as the weeds were just starting to kind of top out here that my buddy said they were catching on top of the weeds with light tubes and okay. basically using it almost like a, a glide bait or one of the high impact suex just kind of skittering it over the top of the the weeds so again those are situational kind of baits but it it's good to have that arsenal in the boat because you're not sure you know which way you're going to go with them so it's for us back to the you know testing testing them in the water and seeing what they do is so valuable for us because when we get in a fishing situation we already got a pretty good feel for what that bait's going to look like or how it's going to react so yeah. i've i've been using uh so adam from topline bait sent us uh sent the hunks a couple of baits for having him on and just talking about a confidence bait, the, he sent this one twitch this in rainbow trout pattern that like at the moment I saw it, I was like, man, that thing just looks great. Just looks, looks awesome. And sure enough, first time out, I catch a fish on it. I ended up getting another one with Nick on it. And like, that's become my go-to bait because I've caught fish on it. You know what I mean? And and it's, it, you know, is it the chicken or the egg? Am I catching fish on it because it's what I'm fishing or but it's, you know, it's one of those ones where when you watch, like me watching you work it, you can tell it's you know, fishy. Yeah. I feel like that's huge. I just, ha I, I personally, as an angler, I have a hard time taking a bait like that off when A, I know it catches and B, I feel really confident throwing it. Now, obviously, you know, that's only in certain situations where I'm fishing on my lake. I don't have these crazy situational uh, you know, happenings where I, I, you, I mean, and you, certainly there are different situations, but it's not the same as a, a shield lake. No. And I think going back like the top line baits, I got one of the first dipsticks last year and it was in rainbow trout. And that thing just went on a tear last year for us. And this year I have a new version of the dipstick that I'm working on with Adam and I was using it today and we raised some fish on it. Not super happy with the, the, the way it's moving. And that's something that Adam and I'll work on. I think we got a little bit too much weight too forward, but we'll tweak it and I think it'll be good. But that working it with the bait builder and trying to design something new, that's always, you know, that's kind of a moving target, but just being, able to have confidence in a bait you're gonna throw it better so i i struggle with medusas i just i flat out struggle with them i catch fish on them but i don't like that really aggressive rip that all the kind of the the wisconsin guys do they do that really hard pull pop pull pop and i just i struggle with that move and i put a toad on and you can work that much slower and much more methodical and I just catch tons of fish on a toad and the twisted tube. I can work it like a toad. I put a bulldog on. I haven't caught a fish on a bulldog in probably three years. And we custom designed a color for Brad at Muskie Innovations. He sent us a bunch and I was like, we really got to catch a color or a fish on our custom color. We I, went out a couple I just weeks watched ago. That video, yeah. Yeah. We went out a couple weeks ago and we caught a fish on it. And again, I'm not working it super aggressively like a lot of guys do. And it's, 
if you as an angler have confidence in a lure, you are going to work it better than a lure that you don't have confidence in. If you guys go and hire a guide, it doesn't matter who it is. And he gives you a lure and he says, this is the hottest lure on the lake, but this is how I need you to work it. And you're not feeling it. You're not going to catch fish that day. You might luck into one, but you're just mentally, you're not going to be in it. And for me, we just did a video. We hadn't caught a fish on a bucktail all year. And I'm like, Dave, we really got to, you know, we really got to try get a fish on a bucktail. So yeah, a little bit tongue in cheek because we knew we were going to catch one eventually. But I, what do I reach for? Dadson, blade with no name. And we catch a fish right away. And again, that's going right back to that confidence. And since I caught that fish on Saturday, we've got seven and like four days on it. So it just shows that it, it's not really that, it has to be the right bait. It just has to be a bait that you have confidence in. And then you're going to throw it better. You're just going to do a better job of it. You're going to work it better. And like you said, Nick, you're watching Owen work it. And the thing just looks fishy because he's putting some action into it to make it look fishy. Donnie, did you have something? I, I did. I'm trying to remember what it was. No, uh, <laughs> we go. So my question is, uh, Glenn, like, we're talking about confidence baits, obviously, and and all of that. Let's say you roll up on a spot, you fish this spot with your go-to bait, whatever it is. You fish through, nothing happens. Are you quick to change a bait and go back through that spot, or are you just moving on to your next spot? If if I'm in the boat with Dave or any of my consistent fishing partners whether it's my wife or my brother-in-law if we go through a spot and i'm on my confidence bait and we don't move a fish we just move on because i know there's a fish there it's just it's about a timing deal then but if i'm with a guest and i'm at the back of the boat i'm usually kind of trying something different and again a, a, an example from this week we raised a 48 or 50 class fish on a spot and I was using a tube and it come up like real hot earlier this week. Some other guys that were fishing from the same lodge had seen the same fish on that piece of structure. So I went back there today and I was like, the easy answer is just put a tube on and see if it'll react. I've struggled with the musky mayhem grenade. My buddy Matt catches a ton of fish on them. I'm like, I'm going to try the grenade. And what do I do? I raise that same fish. So it wasn't really about the bait. It was about being at the right time at the right spot at the right time. And I raised the fish on the grenade. It didn't hit, but I, I know that fish is there. So it just becomes a timing issue. It's just, you know, being there on the moon, being there at the right time. We rarely almost never go back on a fish right away with a different bait. We might have, you know, a throwback lure, whether it's a glide bait or a rubber or something or a suic. But we rarely go back unless it's a weed line. And like we talked earlier with Nick about doing the inside of a weed line. So for us, a lot of our weeds will stop at, you know, four or five feet of water. And you get that little patch of, of water behind the weeds to the shore. A lot of times we'll do an inside outside pass. So we're casting out over the weeds, bringing fish up to shore. And we'll do the same thing on a reef where if it's a, you know, attached to shore in some fashion, we'll run so that the trolling motor is basically banging bottom. And you try to kind of attack the same fish, but just from a different angle. I was going to say how, what, in your opinion, how much is too much to like target a fish when you raise it? A nice one like that that you you know you really want to get 
do you come back once a day or, you know, moon phases? For us, moon phases are huge. And you go back as, as often as you're by there, right? I, I mean, some cases, because our lakes are so big, you're only going to be at a portion of Eagle Lake or at a portion of Cedar Lake once in a day. So if we, if we target this fish that I seen on this spot and it's a big fish spot right next to the deep basin, we moved it today. We went around the corner, we fished a couple other spots and on my way back, basically back to the camp, I'm like, we have to stop there because there's a big fish there. We didn't raise it the second time, but I know that fish is there. And like you're saying, Nick, it's just, it's a timing deal, but we try not to harass those fish too much. If you move one and they roll back up onto that structure, they already know the game. They're, they're not going to show right away and you got to give them time to kind of reset. And a lot of times you get boats that just pound those community spots. I mean, we all seen that. So we always try to, you know, target it a little bit differently. So I guess the short answer is, you know, go back if you're going by there, but we just don't pound a spot until it's dead. Yeah. That's what I, I kind of figured too. You just got to give it time to, you know, hopefully forget, <laughs> forget your tricks and then see if it'll fall for them next time. Yeah, I think so. I think that that's kind of the best strategy. I know a lot of Americans come up to, again, spots like Eagle and they just, they find a big fish and they just sit on that spot and they pound it and they throw everything at it. And like that fish knows, like it's seen that, that game before it's, it's most likely been caught if it, if it's hanging on fishable structure, those great big, the blondes that we have up here, you only see them once or twice a year. And if you get a shot at it, you're going to have one shot at those giant fish. Other than that, like they don't hang around where they can get caught. They don't make mistakes very often. It's those, you know, mid-class fish that, you know, you like the equivalent of that, you know, 19 year old, that's just full of piss and vinegar. So yeah, you can target those fish and they'll probably play a little bit more, but those big ones, man, they're big for a reason. Do you ever find that uh, when you come up with a bait that's, you know, either, you know, brand new on the market that maybe those fish haven't seen that they, you know, are triggered by that a little bit better than, than the usual tricks? Well, I, there's definitely got to be truth in that. My wife got one of the very first Lake X fat bastards that showed up in this area and she went on a tear with it the first year. We got a lot of fish. I got a lot of fish and then as it started to kind of creep into the market now nobody really uses them not that they don't use them but they're just not that secret weapon when i got the first toad up here from john at lake x that first year like i don't know how many fish i got on i got it hanging on the wall in the garage and if you guys can see that tiger muskie behind me there that come on the toad and it was just one of those lures it's just slightly different from a medusa enough that it just the fish were just reacting to it, you know, crazy. The the musky mayhem trigger, you know, that that thing definitely did damage all around here in the hands of guys like Danny Herbeck. So there's a lot of truth to that, but I think a lot of those fish get you know tuned into that pretty quick after they've been stung a time or two on whatever that sound is, they're gonna tune in. And I mean, same as the live scope stuff. Like I just added live scope this year and um, we don't use it for that sharp shooting, driving around, just looking for a mark and casting. We use it as, oh, here comes a fish. 
circling under the boat where did it go and it's a, a learning tool we've caught a couple that have hung around under the boat and all of a sudden you see it coming out and you just you circle your bait that way and you catch them it it's such a cool tool but fish are starting to clue into that too like they they hear the pings they hear the noise of the boats and i think as anglers we outsmart ourselves too often and we're always looking for this secret weapon and i just there is no real secret weapon it's just time on the water and being efficient and being good at what you do and having confidence like there's so many good sticks up in this area but there's a lot of guys that struggle with confidence and they go through those spells where you don't catch and it can be frustrating but for us, we just always think, you know what, if today we don't catch, that's okay. We'll catch tomorrow and we don't let it drive our confidence down. And I think that really helps. Now, you just mentioned something that was really interesting, like that you said that the fish sense the pings. Have you? Do you ever turn off your electronics when you're hitting a spot where you think you know there's fish? Do you ever turn off your electronics so there's no interference? Short answer, no. <laughs> um no, we don't. I, I don't need, I leave my trolling motor on constant all the time. We got music playing in the boat all the time. I got a big white bass cat, like the fish on our clear lakes. They see that thing from a mile away. Like you're turning your stuff off and turning your trolling motor. Yeah. Maybe it makes a difference. I wear a bright green sun hoodie half the time. Yeah. You can buy into that stuff. You can wear two color, different socks if you want, but the bottom line is you just got to be on the water and you got to be casting and you got to have a good figure eight game. Because if I know anything about muskies, they're going to suck all freaking day long until they don't. And then if you're not good at the boat, you're not going to catch. And that's just the bottom line is you have to have a good game when they decide they're going to eat. That's well, what I wonder if well they'll, said. If they'll yes. get to the point where they, you know, are kind of aware of like the live scope when you're, you know, keyed in on one that's sitting on structure, you know, will it, you know, figure out that it's being, you know, directly pinged you're being watched yeah is you're it right. like the is it like the alien where you know yeah. the, the cone comes down <laughs> yeah I, the I calls are if... coming from inside the house <laughs> yeah if they'll you know eventually learn that 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 you know a negative association with that uh, i've only had it this year i've fished with my buddies for the past few years that have had it and just watching their behavior is so cool to watch them pull off a structure and chase a bait in and stop 20, 20, 25, 30 feet away from the boat, turn sideways and you can see which way they're facing by their shadows and stuff. And then if they're not interested, they roll right back to structure and then they just sit there. You can cast over them. Sometimes you can get them to move again. Two nights ago on Eagle, one fish followed the front guy in did a lazy turn. It went under the boat and it shot right back to structure. And then the guy at the back of the boat cast over with a different color bucktail and a different setup on the bucktail was twin fluted eights. And that fish, I was like, holy shit, Adam, it's like coming. And it was on them instantly just by, I told them that it was at the back of the boat, right on the structure. And it came out and it actually, I thought it was going to eat, but it just watching their behavior with the live scope, you learn so much on how they react to different baits and what they do once they're done under the boat. A lot of them will go under the boat and they just become boat riders. Like they're just hanging out underneath. And we've caught some this year that are doing that. They just hang out. So 
I think they know kind of what's going on and it's, it's way beyond hearing the pings and the stuff of the boat. They know what the boat's doing and they know that there's baits around. However it is that they see those baits. I mean, really who knows, but when they decide they're going to eat or they get agitated enough to eat, you just, you have to be ready. And I think that's where I think some people look at live scope and, and all the electronics as a, uh, is that like that easy ticket? Oh, I'm going to buy this and we're going to catch more muskies. And those guys aren't any better musky fishermen than anybody else. So they're, like I said, there's no magic solution in this game. Going back to one of the very first times I, I heard about live scope being discussed. It, it goes back to the fat AZ podcast with, uh, um, gear man, Steve. Steve. Yeah. yeah. With gear man, Steve. And, you know, and he, I'll never forget him saying, like you have no idea how many muskies short follow, you know, like they, they come out of structure. They're nowhere near where you would see them, you know, in any type of, you know, a, a murky water situation, but they're out there and they moved in, in exactly like you said, they said they had one muskie that just kind of hung under the boat. And as they drifted and as they trolled, there's this muskie just kind of like, chilling hanging out just lingered lingering <laughs> yeah so that's, it, it's, that's, a, that's interesting yeah it's a really cool tool it's it's fun watching um it's also frustrating because they do that weird lazy follow they don't you know they don't completely interact with and take a look and it it it's cool i think for us we're really looking forward to using it in the sucker rig season and being able to use it to find those bait pods and find those active fish. I think, you know, for us, we'll probably do a lot of damage on the, you know, the fall musky season with that. And again, it's, I don't want to use it as a crutch to our fishing. I want to use it as, you know, another tool and in, in what we do, because there's so much debate over it, but it just, if you don't have it, you're just, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. And I, I look at it as a learning tool. I haven't said anything really about it very much on our, on our YouTube channel. I've mentioned that, you know, we've seen this fish on live scope or, or whatever the case may be, but I haven't tried to use it as a learning tool on, you know, the YouTube because it's still, it's priced out of the range for a lot of people. And, you know, you have to be kind of conscious of that too. And unfortunately that, that kind of makes a two-tier musky angler there's like those that can afford it or, or have it and those that don't and of course those that don't are mad and don't want the people that do have it to use it so it, you're never going to win that battle i just look at it as a tool and hopefully people will judge us you know as you know accordingly however you want to look at it i do feel like that would make a, a long day of dragon suckers way more entertaining to you know, be able to look back and, you know, maybe see some of the follows and stuff like that. Oh, you must uh, be I dragging suckers you. wrong, Nick, if you have a long day of dragging suckers. Because <laughs> when we drag suckers, we just catch fish. We don't uh, drag them. It's going to be, uh, I, I can tell you I've seen it a couple times. It's a lot of fun getting to see them uh, on the suckers because they, they can, they might be there for a little bit. It's uh, pretty cool. You know what, Donnie, we had one of those water wolf cameras that you kind of put in line. I, I think that's what it's called. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. We put one on three years ago and we had full intentions of using it in some of our videos, but we learned so much in one day 
of watching how a sucker and a muskie interact with one another. And for years, we always thought that when we put some weight on our suckers and we always try, we don't really drag them on floats per se. We always run them down in the water column, down where the muskies are, down where the bait is. And we're always watching our 2D or a side scan. And we were doing that and our suckers were getting snagged up and we always thought oh the damn weight's dragging too low we got to adjust it we got to do this no that's not the case when there's a muskie behind a sucker and he's close enough to hit bottom he will overcome any kind of weight that you have and he tries to auger into any mm -hmm. crevice in the rock and we started learning that and we we're like okay we need to weight these accordingly and not let them get to the bottom and in a lot of cases the muskies would follow them and wait for that sucker to make a, a level change whether it was up or down it wasn't so much side to side but when they made that level change either higher or lower that's when the muskies were more like to likely to you know to hit them and we also learned that they don't always headhunt I know a lot of guys are like, oh, put your hooks on the side of the fish and they're going to headhunt the sucker and solid hook set, you're going to get it and like do the made for TV hook set and you can't go wrong. We were losing too many fish. So we started making our own rigs and adding like a trailer hook pretty much right at the tail fin. And we put it down underneath kind of behind the butthole of the sucker. And we find that like 50% of our suckers get hit from the middle to the back and our hookup percentage is so much higher. And that's all from one day with that little water wolf camera. And we never showed anybody that cause we were like, Hey, this is cool information. We're just going to keep this to ourselves, but learning that and being able to translate it into better success made us better anglers. And without that, we would have probably struggled and we get a lot of slack for our sucker rigging because we don't do those huge hook sets. And I fished with Jeremy Smith a few years back and he told me, and if you watch his videos, he doesn't do that huge made for TV hook set. He just leans into them and gives them a solid kind of snap and he has great hookup percentage. So I think we kind of fall in between there and Again, it comes down to confidence. We have confidence in how we do that. We have confidence in the way we do it. And it works really good for us. And I know a lot of people watch our stuff and they're like, geez, I don't know how you guys catch fish doing it, what it is that you do. But again, like you said earlier, Owen, it's just when you have confidence in something, it's just going to work. Well, I saw Donnie's eyes light, you know, lit up with a couple of those sucker comments. So Donnie, what were you thinking there? I mean, I'm just right on board with everything Glenn's saying is it's pretty much what I try to do when I'm out there too. The, uh, the question I have is like, what size suckers are you working with when you're doing this? Uh, for us, typically anything in that 13 to 16, yes. 17, we almost Come never on. His, use his wife owns the bait shop. If he doesn't get the prime <laughs> sucker, something's right. wrong here. So we don't, we don't, uh, typically we're not working with those type of suckers. At least I'm not uh down this way that's the one thing like i don't usually run a uh, a trailer hook like that but i have a a little bit of a setup that i do it, it's somewhat lighter rigged because of the smaller suckers that i'm usually working with but exactly like you're saying if it when i'm uh doing a hook set mostly because of the lighter rigs and stuff that i'm working with it's always just kind of a little quick little snap and i nine times out of ten you got them right in the corner of the lip right where you want them uh, and it just works. I, I'm not sure why it works, but it does. That's yeah, right. and I think I think you're right, Donnie. We we do 
we reel down to the water, give it just a touch of slack, not even very much. And then we just do a short, we try to position the boat directly above the, or directly above the muskie. And we just do a short upward snap just to about waist high, even a little bit higher. So you can reel into it right away. I watch some of these guys on YouTube and video and they go like over their head. Like it's like Kevin Van Dam setting the hook on like a nine pound largey. And I'm just like, you're trying you to have, flip them. Yeah. And then you have so much line <laughs> to try and reel in. I know it works and it looks awesome, but it's just not the technique we do. I just think that that leaning into it does work better. And back to the sucker size there, Donnie, I know some of the guys, the Eagle Lake guys, they like 18 to 24 inch suckers. And for us, that's not a sucker. That's like a carp. That's a fish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I could get one, I guarantee you I could get it eaten. That's not a problem. I I, no doubt the muskies will eat them. We just can't get them. We got to turn tricks down here to get 10 suckers. Well, the the problem with that is that a a 38 or 40 inch muskie is going to hit a big sucker, a small sucker. It's not going to rule out catching a small fish. And we have so many tigers up here in the couple lakes that we fish that. If you pull into a spot, we see a lot of bait and we see musky arcs on the side imaging or or the 2D and there's muskies in the area. The first ones that are going to hit are going to be tigers because they're aggressive and a 38 inch tiger. He's going to out hit a 30 or a 45 inch musky just because they're so aggressive. So hmm. if you have a big sucker, it's going to get hit and get all tore up anyway. So we just find it so much easier to work with that 13 to 16, 17 inch sucker and increase your hookup percentage. They're usually more robust in the water. The bigger the sucker, the more you got to take care of it. And the less it likes to be drug around like Nick wants to do with them, dragging them all day, (laughs) watching movies on his phone. So we just find the smaller ones work easier. And, And back to your thing there owen i don't actually get too many suckers from my wife's shop we do get some but we we got some pretty good connections with suckers and then we we try to go and trap our own as well so i was gonna say does anyone trap their own yeah some guys do they're pretty tricky to trap in the fall um we try to net some in the spring and then put them in our pond so we try to keep some when we can it doesn't always work but for a musky angler, that's like that's like the million dollar question. Like, do you have suckers for fall? We always have suckers for fall, so we're always set up pretty good. And fall is our favorite time. It, you know, you can get for us from October, the beginning of October till freeze up till the sucker bites over. Usually that first week in November, you can get fifty to seventy muskies in. You know, the five or six days that we go out, we had a couple seven and eight fish days last year. I mean, it's not super amazing but that's still pretty good i would say so yeah it's not a bad day <laughs> no do you it's... think do you think the tiger muskies are so aggressive because they have all those teeth and no toothbrush oh jesus <laughs> <laughs> i think wow the I think it's because they're jealous of the purebreds' pointy fins. I was going to say, yeah. (laughs) It's got to be the pointy fins. That's what I am always impressed at how many tigers you guys catch up there. For a natural fishery, it's it's amazing. Yeah, we catch a lot. We're pretty pretty fortunate. Um, Dave's girlfriend and my wife last year, they both got 44 and 45s. So that's 
that's on the upper end of, you know, the tigers up here. Like there's nothing wrong with that. I've caught a couple that are a little bigger. The one behind me on the wall is 45. Um, my wife last fall had a two week run where she was out, got a 52 and a quarter inch purebred muskie on a sucker. Eight days later, she shot a 53 inch bull moose. And then a few days after that, she got a 45 inch tiger. So that that's pretty much yes. the Canadian trifecta that's, right yeah, there. Yeah, that had trick. Yeah. We told her, she's like, you better get out there and get deer hunting. You're going to get like a 17 point non-typical, but <laughs> she didn't do it. I shot her deer instead of her. So she's a little bit pissed about that. Well, tell her to come to the States real quick. The Powerball's at $1 billion. <laughs> yeah. come, come, come buy a Powerball ticket for me. <laughs> so uh, I just had something on the tip of my tongue. Oh, um, your fit, your rod regulations, you can only fish one. Right. So you can. So when you go out, you can only if you're going to soak a sucker, that's all you can do is soak a sucker. Yeah, that's it. It's one rod per angler. And again, looking at like some of the Wisconsin guys with the sticks hanging out the boat everywhere. I'm not sure that we're jealous because to me, that just looks like a nightmare waiting to happen. And again, back to whether it's trolling or sucker rigging for us. We like to keep it simple and our style of sucker rigging, we do almost no casting. Maybe one guy will cast a tube, some sort of rubber or something, but we don't, we don't really think that going out casting and just dragging a decoy sucker is really the right approach. Our approach is go and find the bait, find where the whitefish and the ciscos are setting up the spawn and you're going to find the muskies just casting driving along expecting to raise a muskie that might eat your sucker that just seems like a waste of a day to me if you can find the bait you will find the muskies when you find the whitefish are staging on those you know classic spawning areas you're going to find muskies and lots of times when we roll into a spot there'll be 10 or 12 muskies and we're just using 2d and side scan i can't even imagine what live scope is going to show us what do you guys listen to in the fall on a Sunday? Like we listen to, to the NFL football. Like we, you know, what are Canadians? Do you have something out there that like, you're like, all right, every in the fall, we can listen to something out there. Brian right, Adams. <laughs> Celine Dion. <laughs> no, we, Dave and I are into heavy metal music. So we always got something pretty heavy going in the boat. In fact, uh, a couple years ago, I think two years ago, actually got a copyright strike on one of her videos because we had i think it was the tesla band playing in the background and it the youtube algorithm didn't pick it up when they uploaded it but like two days later their lawyers must have found it or whatever and i got a copyright strike so i pulled the video down and i lowered the volume in that one section and then posted it exactly the same and then it was good after that so we got to be conscious of what we're playing in the background but Dave and I have a thing. Fucking, if, lo if, fucking lawyers. Oh, right. all the time. Can't even have any fun. <laughs> so usually for us, if if it's been a tough day, um, Machine Head, the heavy metal band, has been kind of our go-to. If we need something to happen in the boat, it's like put Rob Flint and the boys on and some shit's going to happen. And it usually does. We don't really listen to... I know I fished with Greg Thomas a couple summers ago. And he had on some college football game because I know you guys like your college stuff, but we don't have that up here. 
So he, I think he had that on. And I was like, oh my God, this is just fucking boring. But that's what he's into. We like to that's listen it. to music and that's kind of what we do. But in the fall up here, it's so freaking cold that you got no time for listening to stuff. You're always trying to just stay warm because we'll fish like right till freeze up. I think Tony's boat's even like all decked out in the uh, University Kentucky. of Kentucky. Yeah. Well, I'm sure yeah. it is. Yeah, his outboard has a giant University of Kentucky sticker on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, shoot, I just had something else I wanted to ask just along those. Oh, um, fishing in the winter. Donnie just had this, this awesome full enclosure made for his boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously I I haven't been on it and fished in bad weather since he had it made, but I can only imagine that's a game changer when it comes to winter, fall, winter fishing. And you are so far up north, Glenn. Like, is that something that you use or do you just go out and free ball it? Uh, we're not big trollers, so we don't typically do the top up on the boat. I got a bass boat and my second boat's a little tiller. Dave's got a tiller. My brother-in-law's got a big Lund Pro V with the top. We might use it this year and do a late uh, Eagle Lake trip, but we're not big on trolling. We kind of suck at trolling. That's just something that we need to get better at. But the sucker rigging stuff, we find our style of fishing. You need to be on top of them and we need to be active. We need to be, you know, raising, lowering our suckers, following the bait, following the muskies. So that's not really our style of fishing. And in the fall, we pick and choose our days. Yeah, we get some bad days too in the weather. And some of our videos have showed that. But yeah, kind of the short answer there is no that's just really not our style of fishing but you see a lot of it up here guys are like fully enclosed they got the buddy heaters in there and they're excuse me they're dragging baits but for us that's just not it once once you do get you know corrupted into the trolling lifestyle you'll have to get some uh mag mojos from leo (laughs) i got one it's actually it's kind of a silver jailbird it's really nice and Dave and I were old enough that we're getting close to the point where we're like, yeah, you know what? Our next boat's going to have windshield and the top will be like Donnie. We'll be all set up with the buddy heater and the TV in there watching football on the weekend. It's a nice option to have. But right now now we're like, we're casters. We like our sucker rig and we're going to do as long as we can. And then the joke is once we're in our sixties, we're just going to be trollers. We're going to troll right from opening weekend, right till freeze up and, damn the caster so it's a moving target there but for right now yeah we just kind of stick to our own thing and and it's been working but i know that day's coming but we all kind of dread you know being that guy that you have to just have everything covered up and the heat on all the time that's like the guys that want to go fishing or hunt in a deer stand with the heater on and the whole nine yards there too so did you get any of the uh the cutthroat jerk baits he makes there no I got uh, a Mojo Magnum, the regular Mojo. I think I got two of those ones. And then he just sent me a new, I think he calls it the Warhawk. It's his topwater Leo truck. It's got like the, the really cool the prop I, on it. Yeah, it looks like I, an airplane. I bought, Glenn, I bought, I bought the other one that he made. I and have, the silver jailbird yep, the, with the, the silver jailbird. Thing? Yep, with the That's warplane. Awesome. The Warhawk, uh, absolutely, man. He had he put he posted that thing, and I I sent a message immediately. I was like, I want that thing. I mean, and I don't know whether to fish it or just hang it up because it it's it looks so awesome. Oh, it does look awesome. We fished it the other day there, and actually moved a fish with it. Yeah. Excuse me. No, that's cool. 
And I, I did some uh, custom suex up a few years back. In fact, I got hanging on the wall in the cave and I got a couple with that old warplane style shark thing. They're so freaking cool. I get, again, it, it comes down to a confidence thing. You throw something that looks like that, that you know in your head looks cool. It's just, it's going to get eat just because it's got the cool factor written all over it. Yeah, you're excited right. it's, about it. It's, it's yeah. not like a muskie is going to look at that and be like, oh man, that looks like a, a 1945 Sweet P- pattern. P- P- P-51. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, it's cool because we like it. Yeah. And the exact opposite, we did some custom suics up and the guy that painted them from Winnipeg, Manitoba, he's like, well, what do you want on the other one? I'm like, I just want like the craziest, brightest pastel pattern you can find. He's like, pastel? He's a younger guy. I'm like, yeah, like the 80s, like bright 80s day glow colors. So we just, Dave and I went on my phone and just typed in uh, day glow 80s clothing. And it come up some leopard print with this weird day glow colors. And I sent him that picture. He painted it exactly. And the first first day out with it on a suic, I got a 29 and a half inch walleye. And we got like a 45 inch muskie on it. And I was like, well, that pattern clearly works. So again, <laughs> it doesn't matter what the freaking thing looks like. It's just, it's really cool for a picture and it's cool to just, you know, hold up. So it, whatever anglers get so caught up in color it's mm-hmm. freaking amazing what people will buy and what people want but there's lots of collectors like ryan he's not here and he just he collects all of them and for us and i think i told you guys last time i'm just not a collector everything on the wall is meant to be smashed and and broken and caught and if it works it's great and if it doesn't it's just not going to work so that's the way we look at it they're mm-hmm. just tools that's we were out this past weekend speaking of the color thing and we have we're running our six rod pa stupid trolling spread and we have like the, <laughs> we have our beautiful lifelike patterns and perch and crappy and stuff and then my girlfriend picked two lures and one of the lures she picked was a shayla shad alia lure in that watermelon pattern that he paints it's pink with black dots and a green back i mean yeah. it's a cool looking it's almost, pattern it's kind of like a tr- almost like a rainbow trout in a certain I, yeah, way it's a freaking watermelon it's got pink and green and, there's pink and green yeah the seeds yeah, look like that, those little dots and that was the one out of all six baits that was the one that kept getting hit and they were all running the same it wasn't a matter of depth or anything it was that freaking stupid i mean it, like like you said it doesn't matter it, it's a it's a watermelon bait the fish is eating it it's not eating it because it's like oh i like watermelon it's, <laughs> right. a, it's a game of chance mm. what again i think I, i've said it a few times here already tonight it comes down to timing and for us up here there's guys that fish way more than i do like all the guides up here and and full respect to them but even if you talk to those guys, they're only catching a couple fish a day and they're all coming down to timing. Yeah, you're going to luck into one that you maybe stumble upon a, a green fish that's never seen anything. But for most of those guys and for us, it's all about timing. And yeah, confidence baits. You know, I got these dads in blade with no name and they got a really cool grind. It doesn't really matter what color I use. The one I used last weekend was a black with like this red trailer blade. I could have put on a blue and white, which is not my favorite color. I'm going to throw it the same because I know that thing grinds like crazy. And it it just, it's always about timing, about being at the right place at the right time. And Shield Lakes, especially because it, it just, there's so many variables up here that it if you don't come up here and plan your day to hit, key spots at key times and my buddy kevin wagner is coming up 
really good angler. He works within the industries. The St. Croix rep works with Eagle Claw Hooks. He's coming up this weekend to Cedar. And he is does it, something. Is that Doug's, Doug's evil twin brother? No, I think Kevin said he was the first Wagner in the uh, musky industry, in the industry way before yeah. way before uh, Doug. But Kevin has this thing where he kind of plans an itinerary for his day, and he'll look at moon phases. He'll look at you know your sunset time, your sunrise time, and if he has a really good moon in the morning, he might tell him and his buddies, hey, this morning we're going to get up early. We're going to skip breakfast. We're going to try and hit this period. We'll come in. We'll have like a late breakfast, early lunch. And then we want to be back on the water at, you know, X amount of time. And of course, the weather changes all that. But he comes in with a really good game plan. And he has his six days mapped out that, hey, these are some key times that we need to be on the water. And he has enough experience on the Shield Lakes and Eagle Lake. He's a really good buddy with Steve Herbeck. So he knows that being on the water at those times is going to increase your chances. And I, I've talked about it on our YouTube channel. I've wrote about it. Guys that come to Canada, they're so excited. They get up at eight in the morning, they have breakfast and they cast all freaking day. And at six o'clock at night, they're like, let's go in, have a cigar and drink a bottle of brandy or whatever they want to do. They're sitting on the deck while the young kids are out there and catch three muskies at prime time because they're already wore out and they didn't plan their day. And for us, Dave and I, lots of times on a Saturday, we're like, well, let's go hit Cedar today because it's changeover day. The lake will be quiet. We're like, well, let's just go out at five o'clock. Well, what are we going to do all day? I'm like, well, I ain't going to cast all day because I know at five o'clock to eight o'clock is going to be the period. And you go and you hit those prime times. And that works for us. And I think a lot of people that plan trips to Canada should really try and plan your days accordingly because you'll just burn yourself out and then you won't be ready. And the guy I had today as a guest, he was he's an older fella. I give him full credit. He went hard all day casting. But his figure eights were getting lazy towards the end. And we all get that way. You get kind of complacent. And I was like, holy crap, Richard, you got one like right on you. And he kind of pulled his bait out. And then he tries to re-engage the eight. Well, the show's too over late. at that point. Yeah, too late. And I'm like, you only get, well, in his case, he got like 10 chances today. But you usually only get a couple chances. And you guys have heard Steve Herbeck say it so many times. When you come to Canada, your boat side game better be good. Or you might as well just stay at home because you don't get too many opportunities. Do you find that evening window is hot regardless of moon phase? Yeah, you're up here the evening yep. that, especially as you start to get into the second half of July, we're past those longer days and the sun's starting to, you know, get a little bit lower in the sky a little bit earlier in the day. And you get that, you know, that last hour and a half, the golden hour regardless of the moon but if you can time it in with like a moonrise or a moonset somewhere around sunset that's great but yeah up here most of our lakes are all really great evening bites and not a lot of lakes have consistent great morning bites or at least not in our experience you don't hear a lot of really consistent fishing in the morning Dude, that's exactly what Reagan says when when we go up and fish in Nipissing. Um, you mentioned before, I think before we got started, that you know you've you've seen the musky hunter episodes of Lake Nipissing, and one of the guides that he fishes with is is our buddy Reagan, um, that that we go up and fish with, and Reagan is in no hurry to get on the water. He's like, there's just, I, I guess the historical you know data over all these years is he's just like, listen, that's just not where 
that's not when they're not the they're best hitting. way to spend your time. Yeah, he, if you're gonna focus on something, you want to put your time in towards the end of the day, towards in that in that little evening evening hour. Because obviously, if you want to start at six a.m., he'll start at six a.m. But as a guide, you you know your day has to have some type of a beginning and an end. So if you start a little bit later, he says, okay, well that means we're gonna stay out later, and that that I think that gives you the bigger better chance at a fish. Does is that is that carry some some weight with you yeah it does i typically all things being considered equal try to plan my guide days noon to eight or one to nine so we hit that evening bite especially with newer guests because taking them out at eight in the morning yeah you might get a shot at an earlier day fish but that 10 30 to 3 30 in the afternoon can just be a grind and like i don't care who you are it's just tough. So if you can go out early afternoon, you might encounter a couple fish. And then as things start to kind of cool down, the sun's starting to go down around six o'clock. That's when things can pick up. And that's right about the time where everybody's starting to get tired and wore out. So that's kind of how I plan my day. And Ben Beatty is one of the best guides up on Loxwell, if not the best. And he plans his days like noon to dark. And I think right on his website, I think he says that like, there's just no point going out in the morning. He just plans his days accordingly. And he wants to be on the water that late afternoon into the early evening. And a lot of guys here would do that too. And I I know a lot of the guys that work at the camp, a camp day of guiding is eight to four. Well, that's right. just not, it's the like, best it's like a time. bank. That's a banker's hour. That's not a musky yeah, hour. And, that's musky's hours. You know, and, and, I go out to Temple Bay Lodge, which is like 10 minutes from my house, and I, and I fish with the owner's son, and we'll go out in the evening. So I'll get to the camp at like 5 o'clock, and all the guides are just coming in. They're tidying up their boat. They might be having a beer in the lodge or whatever, and they're heading home, and they're like, yeah, we've seen a couple today. It was a slow day, and Hunter and I go out, and we get 3 in the evening. And I know the guides would fish differently, but that's how the days are set up. So. I do think there's something really important for people when they come to Canada to plan your day because it's it's just so important to be on the water at good time. And it's so easy to get up here and get caught in the, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go. And in most cases, outside of the odd fish you're going to catch in the morning, it just, I think you said it, Nick, it's just not the best use of your time. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for, going in and taking a nap or going in and just chilling for an hour or two during the day, you know, powering up your, your internal reserves and going back out there and really being able to pay attention in that prime time, because paying attention, I think is, you know, it's, it's half the battle right there. If not more of the battle than, than half just paying attention. And if you're dead tired, come evening time especially if you're not used to fishing like that like these guys like us that come from the states you know i think we probably fish a little bit more than other guys that maybe just take a a week and go up there i know when when i first went up to nipissing if i didn't go out casting ahead of time i would be dead by day two but now because i'm used to casting i fish more throughout the year i don't you know i'm i'm certainly in much better musky shape than than the guy that just goes and does it one time a year yeah, I think that's that's probably fair of everybody. We're always kind of out of shape the beginning of the season too, but I just being alert and being aware on these shield lakes is so important 
to just again good boat side game you you have to practice and I think what happens to a lot of guys is that they don't spend enough time actually catching muskies and they think they're pretty good around the boat they think they're pretty you know handy anglers but unless you contact a bunch of fish and you're really confident in your figure eights one of the most asked questions that i get and it's one of my highest confidence lures i think we talked about it on the last episode too and i just did a video i don't know a few months ago about confidence lures and it's the one that i i kind of brought to the top of my list if i need something to happen i can go to a bondi royal orba and i use it as a bucktail equivalent wherever i would throw a bucktail i'll use it um i just cast it out straight retrieve it i can burn it over weeds i can slow retrieve it to get it down a little bit deeper i 99 times out of 100 use the junior model in a walleye pattern so much so that like i call john i'm like i need another 12 and he sends 14 we use them all the time i don't hardly ever do any kind of pull pause stuff with it if i do think that there's fish deeper off of a break I'll not really count it down. I'll just super slow retrieve it to try and get it down in that eight to 10 foot range. And then I just medium retrieve it back in just a super versatile lure. I just, I'm surprised it's not more popular to be honest. Like I just, I'm just really surprised that that one's never really, you know, taken the industry by storm because we've got so many fish on it. I can, I have two of them and I have the smaller one and the bigger one. And I can tell you just from my experience fishing it, it doesn't feel like anything in the sense that, you know, how we were talking earlier, like, you know, you, you see a person working a certain jerk bait and they're imparting an action to it that, that looks good. And, and that person that's fishing, it feels good by, by imparting that action. But my experience fishing a Royal Orba I expect it to do something. And like you said, it's just kind of a straight retrieve in. And if you don't catch a fish on that, it just kind of seems like, oh, I'm just like reeling this thing in. That's why I guess your analogy with it being like a bucktail makes a lot more sense to me. I keep thinking it should, I should be working it more like a Medusa or bulldog, like jerking it and ripping it. But you know, with those blades are doing the same thing as a bucktail would be both spinning away. I think Brad Hoppy used to use it in that kind of pull pause jerk kind of fashion. And I think, I think he had mentioned in their podcast that that's kind of what he did with it in the past. And I think they kind of kept it as a secret in Minnesota because they're catching a lot of fish on them. And we, I stumbled across it because my wife bought it for a local walleye tournament. And I just thought, Hey, this thing looks pretty cool. I'm going to take it musky fishing. And I got a 46 on it first day. And I was like, well, this thing works pretty good. And I think that tail has that bulldog-like action to it. And the blades just, unless they get fouled, they spin effortlessly. They just have enough action in it. And they're just so easy to work. I can give them to guests. I can give them to my kids. They have enough weight that they cast nice. And the straight retrieve is just really easy. I almost always change the hooks out to 3 aught round gap hooks just so that they don't hook in the side of them as easy and they're a little bit stouter hook but that junior size is absolutely my favorite size i'd fish that i could put that on and fish it all day i had it on today for probably three or four spots and i raised one of our nicer fish today and caught a pike on it so i just know they work and again it's back to that confidence thing and 
I get asked so often, how you work it? What, what do you do with it? We've shown videos on how we use it and people still don't believe you. They're like, what, what's the secret to this bait? Cause you're not showing us. I'm like, that's the secrets. Just clip it on and just retrieve it. And like, you can burn it over the top of weeds. And I think I have one video where people comment like, holy shit, you're burning that thing like a little double eight bucktail over top of weeds. And then we catch a 44 in that same segment. It just, it can work everywhere. And like, I think, like I said, it's a bucktail equivalent and you can use it just like a bucktail. Absolutely. I like that you can get them down too. Like it, you can't always fish a bucktail deep, but it seems like with the orba, you can kind of hold them down a little further than you would a bucktail. They don't want to come right up. No, you can. And if you not so much count it down because you don't want it to dive head first because that's when it will get tangled up. But if you cast out and you just very slow retrieve on a tight line, you can get that thing to go down that six, eight feet and get kind of in that pocket. It's just, it's a super versatile bait. It really is. That's what it, it haunts me. I had by far the biggest follow I've ever seen on one. And I just, you blew it. it. Well, yeah, I just, well, I mean, I don't <laughs> know if I ever could have got it to engage. It was, you know, one yeah, of those I don't, it wasn't follows. a hot, it wasn't yeah. like a hot, hot fish. It, it was one of those ones that, it kind of turned around and you saw this gigantic tail just kind of waving back at you as it was swimming away. Yeah. But I always just think, you know, what, what should I have been doing with that thing? But Maybe going 4.2 miles an hour. That's, I think the answer is trolling. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> that's never the answer. <laughs> never. <laughs> that's like My saying guess- meth is the answer. <laughs> My guest today raised actually he didn't raise it just blew up on um psycho sister top water from chaos blew up right beside the boat and he's like what should i have done different you know and he's kind of kicking himself and i'm like there's nothing you could have really done different i would have maybe plunged the lure underwater a little bit i there's a couple things that instinctively you know some musky anglers would have did but he was kicking himself and he was upset like oh what could i have done different there's not really a lot you can do different in a lot of cases. Yeah. You screw up a figure eight here, there. That's part of the fishing. If you caught every single fish that we encountered, there'd be no muskies left in these lakes because their lips would be just ripped apart. So it has to be tough for a reason. And we have to make mistakes for a reason because it, it just wouldn't be sustainable if we caught every single fish that we always encountered. It wouldn't be fun either. No, it wouldn't be fun. Get spoiled real quick. The Royal Orba question was one that I, I definitely had on my on my list. I didn't know if there were any other bait questions that you guys had for, for Glenn, because I see Glenn as kind of like the bait. Like the lore encyclopedia. Yeah. <laughs> the, not just the uh, pilot bait. test program. Yeah, because he's not just saying, okay, I like jerk baits and I'm going to fish a suic. Uh, like he's fishing a bunch of different jerk baits, a bunch of different diving rises, a bunch of different. I mean, you 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 do mainly the 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 Dadson's blade with no name, um, but you know for the most part, you really kind of. It is cool, yeah. To cover have, a lot of have ground. your videos as a reference material for, you know, baits that you're interested in, and you know, seeing how they work, and that's a very cool resource that's out there. We get a lot of comments and a lot of feedback from those type of videos, and I get a lot of feedback from the manufacturers. So if we do an underwater video of, I 
I won't use Leo's lures as an example because I'm not 100% certain, but I do know Kevin at Pandemonium said that the video we did talking about unboxing his lures and then we take unboxing video to the next step. We actually put them in the water and show you those lures because unboxing some stuff on a table. Yeah, everybody's done that. That's cool. Right. I, I really don't care what they look like. I could care less how they're painted. I want to see them in the water. I want to know how they work. We did that video and Kevin's like, oh, we got orders like right off of that video. I'm like, well, then that's a job well done for us. Well done for him. And that's working together. And everybody in this industry, and I don't want to get into the industry stuff because I know we talked about that last time, but everybody in this industry wants free shit from everybody and they right. don't want to give back. I want to give back as much as I could possibly give back to these people because I just want to be... When we're all said and done with the musky industry and the YouTube, I just want to look back and say that I give as much away for free and I help these companies as much as I possibly could. And I never asked for more than I ever deserved. And I think if people were like that, the industry would be better. And I think when companies give people free lures or free gear or free anything, if those people actually cared enough to give back to those companies and help them actually drive sales, the industry would, would be better. And that's the whole goal of why we do all the underwater stuff and why we clip on so many different lures when we're fishing, because yeah, I could just use the same stuff day in and day out, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to be an infomercial for one brand of stuff. We we want to just be unbiased and be fair and use as much stuff as we can. And I think it helps the viewer. It helps them learn about different styles of lures, different tactics. And we try not to play favoritism. Yeah, the dads and things a little bit. You know, that's our thing. We're tight there. And, you know, unashamedly, like that's kind of yeah. what we do. That's fine. But for the most part, all the other stuff, we really try to make it a two-way street and help everybody out. And the feedback that we get is, is almost all positive. And when I hear that our video helped a company or a boutique builder sell a bait or sell something, that's awesome. We feel good about it. Now, what? tell us a little bit about if, if color isn't that important, why the silver jailbird? Why is that your thing? Like... Is it just a confidence bait like that you love the way that looks or do you really think that affects a muskie's desire to eat that bait? Do you want the real answer or do you want the <laughs> I, cute, cute I, podcast I want, episode? I want answer? the real answer. Yeah. <laughs> so David and I never fished a suic. I had probably eight or ten hanging on the wall. I tried it a couple times. I was like, nah, I don't even know what to do with this thing. That's how new I was at musky angling. I'd caught a couple on the old classic redhead, just working it as almost like a straight jerk bait, just like straight retrieve with the odd little jerk. I didn't know what to do with them. So we didn't use Suix. And one of the guides that used to work at Temple Bay on Eagle Lake, he's actually my kid's bus driver now. He's older, retired fella. He asked David, he's like, how come you guys aren't using Suix? Dave's like, I don't know. We don't really have too many. He's like, well, come out to my house. There's garage. He's like, I got a bunch of stuff. I'll sell you guys for like 20 bucks. So Dave went and bought like a huge box of stuff, had a couple Suix in it. One was a silver jailbird and one was a, a gold jailbird. And I was like, oh, I like that silver. I took the silver. Dave took the gold and we started catching fish right away. 
And right away, that silver jailbird started getting beat up. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go find another one. And Kyla's like, oh, that's a discontinued color. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, how did it discontinue that color? So that's before I was connected in the industry. <clears throat> Excuse me. We caught quite a few fish on it. It was getting beat up. And I finally, I reached out to Michael Suick. I'm like, hey, can I get some of these silver jailbird Suicks? He's like, <clears throat> they're discontinued. I can do a special run for you guys. We kind of talked back and forth. And then that's kind of what we did. I did do a special run. But I like that color so much because we had confidence in it, like you're saying, Owen. And because it was discontinued, <clears throat> we had the only quote unquote one in that color. And there's something to be said about limited edition or hard to get. That's where the dads and stuff comes in. I get messages every week. Hey, I need a blade with no name. I'm like, yeah, well, me too. Like join the club. So <clears throat> the silver jailbird just became this thing that everybody associated us with the silver jailbird color. And we didn't really create that. It just everybody that was like, hey, I'll build you a lure just like that silver jailbird suik you got. And that became kind of our quote unquote signature pattern. So much so that the color that we did in the bulldog, we it's a silver jailbird base color, put some orange on it. But to do something fun, we held a contest to name that color. And it was so popular. I think we had like over a thousand entries on my socials, Brad said it was like super popular. People were wanting that color and we called it Sunset Jailbird. And it's just that take on that silver jailbird. And for whatever reason, it's something that people associate with us. And yeah, it's just kind of cool. I always go back to that color and it's just fun now that, you know, these boutique builders like Todd Leopardi's like, hey, I built one sending it to you and it's in this cool take on your color. I mean, who doesn't like that kind of stuff? Like that stuff makes me smile. So I, like, I can only imagine how other people would feel if they had that associated with them. And I mean, that's just, you know, that's like a a little pat on the back for us that, you know, like people think enough of what we do to associate a color to us so it's well, that's, cool stuff. that's one of the reasons why i snatched that one up that todd had extra it's just because you know like those he's not going to paint you know those types of colors and patterns don't get painted all the time so i was like hell if he's got one of those extra i'm buying it you know it's it's you know it's the boutique builder thing yes ryan is the collector in the group by for sure but i think you know nick is oh, the historian forget about nick <laughs> oh, I was gonna say Nick. Nick is. Nick, you you don't worry about me over here. Nick, Nick doesn't have the display case and everything. You Nothing's know, getting Nick, hung on the wall here until it quits working. <laughs> it's it's just really interesting because you know how you've listened to our podcast. We really really enjoy having local bait makers on. We really enjoy talking about how people get started. What inspired you to make your first bait? You know. And in the fact that the musky industry, I see it as one of the last bastions of, you know, a mom and pop industry. You know, Walmart hasn't taken over the the musky industry yet. Bass Pro hasn't taken over the musky, musky industry yet. It's still guys making stuff in their basement and seeing something on YouTube and being like, oh, man, I'm going to make something like that. You know, that's pretty freaking cool. Yeah, it yeah, is pretty really cool. It's uh, it's fun talking to a lot of these boutique builders 
and the and the the big companies like i we talk with all of them and when they think enough of what we do as as a brand 54 bus is a brand it's not just me but what they think of what we do and and how we you know portray ourselves in the industry to to think of us highly enough that they want to do a lure with us or or work with us we're always honored and humbled by it and it's it's never lost on us cuz we're just we're just a couple regular guys like we're we're the quintessential weekend anglers who just go out for fun and we're at the point in our lives and our, our musky fishing career that if it was to end tomorrow I'd be okay with it like I've had our quote unquote 15 minutes of fame we never went into it looking for that we just we just have fun fishing you're it's still going to be able dump. to pay your mortgage you know you're you're not going to it's not going to financially ruin you if you if the musky thing went away you know how much money I would have if the musky thing went away <laughs> that's true very true very true yeah um, makes me think of uh someone we were talking to they said yeah uh, so-and-so you know sold all their baits and bought bought their wife a car <laughs> so, yeah. well i wanted to kind of touch on it you know we've gone through the baits we've gone through you know some of the shield tactics i kind of wanted to i guess get your I don't think we really got into what your biggest fish was last time, or or, or did we? Uh, we might have. Because I see you got that tiger behind you. That's, uh, you know, for our guests that can't see what we're talking about, you have a, a, a mounted tiger that you mentioned earlier. Like, you're in big fish country, man. Like, you are, you are in country that we can only... Dream of. Dream of, you know, getting there by... 20 some hour drive like what are we you know what i guess what, you kind of mentioned too fish? that you kind of mentioned too that some bodies of water are better for like building confidence and contacting fish so do you have like some lakes that you go to to i don't know try you know as a trial grounds and then some that you're hunting big fish on so I think something that separates us from a lot of the other local guides and the Eagle Lake guides, they're awesome. A lot of them are like big fish sticks. Like the, the guys like Danny Herbeck, they catch big fish consistently. He's on Eagle all the time. Full props to him. Um, we fish all the lakes in the area. So one day I'll be on Indian Lake chain. I'll be on Canyon. I'll be on Cedar be on Peralt, I'll be on Eagle, I might go fish Wabagoon with a buddy. So that's kind of something YouTube stuff. We're on a lot of different bodies of water all the time and each body of water is different. Today I was on Cedar. I was on Cedar on the weekend. We were on Canyon a few weeks back and they all produce, you know, that 38 to 45, 48 inch fish. But if you truly want the big fish, you got to go to Cedar, you got to go to Eagle. So it's just, it's trying to kind of balance it out. And because we do YouTube, we're always looking for content as well. So just going on a big fish adventure and not catching doesn't make a very good YouTube episode, unfortunately. So it's a balancing act. And kind of to your question, Owen, my biggest fish have come from Cedar and Eagle. No surprise. The, our biggest tigers, my biggest tiger has come from Canyon Lake at like right around that 48 inch mark 
Oh, wow. Um, I've caught some tigers on the cedar system, cedar and peralt. Um, most of the fish that we catch are in that 40 to 45 inch range. Um, we almost never bump any of them on our videos because we've caught enough of them. And that's not trying to be, you know, some conceited. It just, when you're up here and you fish as much as we do, you're going to catch some fish and the 40 inch fish isn't the one we're after. We'll get the bump board out. If it's 45 or bigger, you can, the guys debate that endlessly online, but that's kind of where we're at with it. Bumping subs. Yeah. When we want to catch like really big fish, we'll go to Eagle and Eagle's a special place. There's just no question. It's a bucket list destination for everybody. I haven't been out there at all this year, really. And when I went a few days ago, I'm like, yeah, there's a reason why you come here and you pretty much hate yourself for like six hours because at six hours and two minutes, you put a 48 inch in the boat that's built like a 52 and you just feel good about yourself. And it just, that type of water is just something different. There's just something special about that big fish water. And I think as we start to change how we fish, I think we will fish places like Eagle more often just because as we start to move away from YouTube or even move away from the industry side of it and don't have as many um, commitments within it and we're just going for fun, I'll go out and spend all day casting and take a skunk to just have a shot at a 53 or a 54. I'm at that point in my musky fishing you know, destiny or journey that the destination for me is I want to get illegal. They don't come really easy up here. It's not, you know, like the Great Lakes down in St. Clair and, and Green Bay and stuff where they, they come slightly easier. Here, you got to work for them pretty hard. And that's kind of our next step, I think, in our evolution as musky anglers is, you know, maybe next year or the year after it's going to be the year of this is what we're doing. That's the goal. I don't care about all the other fish. We've, you know, that part of it's kind of behind us and and we'll try and just, you know, check that box off of yeah. the list. Yeah. When, when do you make that decision? Like, Hey, we're going to turn this into, we've caught a Trophy bunch of muskies. Man. Yeah. We've, we've proven that we can catch muskies. We can teach people. We can fish on different types of structure, different types of baits. Now we're just going out there on prime times, a spots, and we're going to catch a freaking giant swinging for the fences. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting that you asked that Owen, because the, this past winter I took a lot of time and I watched almost every single one of Casey Neistat's daily vlogs that he did on YouTube a few years ago. And people that are familiar with YouTube will know who Casey Neistat is. And he's really good at telling a story of a mundane day. And, we're trying to incorporate more storytelling into what we do. And I've already kind of told Dave that maybe next year or the year after our story or our YouTube journey is going to be our story starts at day one. And the only goal is to catch big fish. We're going to show you every day on the water, even if it means we got our asses handed to us. This is what our day was. This is what we used. This is why it didn't work today. And the goal is going to be at the end of the year that we're going, we're swinging for the fences. That's, that's what we're doing. And I think there's, there would be something 
for everybody in that type of scenario to watch and, and follow along with us. But you have to have a community that's invested. And we have a great community on YouTube and within the Muskie industry. So I think that that's, that's our long-term goal with it is to do that kind of a series where it's like, yeah, we got one goal. And Johnny Dadson always tells us, he's like, if it ain't 54, I just shake it off at the boat. And that's what we want to do. We just want to one day get to that point where you can produce a YouTube series all summer where it's like, if it ain't 54, it ain't coming in the boat. And I know that's, that's, that's definitely, you know, swinging for the fences, but I do think that kind of thing would be fun. Hey, they're, uh, they're on like season 10 of uh, the curse of Oak Island and they haven't found (laughs) shit. So (laughs) yeah. I, I, think I, 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 for one, would absolutely like like this that because, all right, we're at a point, and I don't know whether we've reached this point or not, but the point of saturation, like the saturation point of musky fishing on YouTube, where there's so much content, like there are guys everywhere catching fish, okay? So what is going to set people apart? Is it going to be, I think what sets you, like I've told, I've said, you know, what sets you apart is kind of like the shield aspect and the teaching aspect. And, and you also have the big fish aspect, but you know, for guys that have access to big fish water, like Slobland flicks. Okay. You know, those guys, like it's just big fish. Like they are not posting anything that isn't 54 or bigger. And that's something I feel like would be cool to see. Like, what you're doing to target big fish. Right. What changed? Nobody, like, nobody really talks about that. They just, you know, show the big fish. What changes between your, your gear, your fishing, you know, how you're going to fish spots, your mindset on fishing spots where you're no longer just going out to, to put content out, to get fish in the boat, to, to, to be able to, you know, to, to teach a point. Like I would love to hear the mindset change that it would, take for a guy like you to be like i'm just going for the fucking queen yeah and but a week and a half ago i think it was a youtube comment it might have been an instagram comment i'm not sure a guy asked me he says we know you guys can catch fish we see that he's like i want to follow you guys for a day through a video on why it is you're picking that spot, why it is you're picking the Bondi Royal Orba, why it is you're casting this point, that direction, like take our breakdowns that we do in my cave and put it on the water in a vlog style video on why it is we're doing what we do when we do it. And I I read that and I had to read it a couple times and I'm like, he doesn't care that we catch one or two fish or seven or eight or nine on a video. He's like, that you can see that other places he's like i want to see the the thinking behind it kind of like you're saying owen and I, it just to me it feels like the next step to that would be okay 2024 is the hunt for queenie and we're not going to show you guys all the shit that goes on to not catch queenie we want to go for the big fish and i think for us, we've proven that we can catch fish. We, I think we, we've done that enough that we can go out and we can we can consistently catch fish. What our thing is, is we're not big fish specialists. 
because we don't consistently fish big fish water. And I think for us to be maybe taken a little bit more serious, if that's even a thing in the industry, we need to go out and prove that we can consistently catch big fish and get to that point. So there is something there. And I think that there's a big, there would be a big market of people that would like to see that style of, you know, video. So that's something that we've already talked about. And I think that's where, you know, natural progression for our channel and for what we do. And again, for me, I just don't feel like we have a ton to prove personally or with the industry. I think we've, we've given back enough. So for me, if it's, if something's going to happen with our channel or with our brand, it's going to be something that pushes us to another level or another goal or another challenge that we have to try and overcome. Because I just feel like just putting out that same type of content, it's like you say, it's, it's oversaturated and people will start to tune you out. So it's always trying to kind of come with something new. And that's why we're trying to do a little bit more storytelling, try and, and show who Dave and I are a little bit more, outside of just angling, because I think characters are what build relationships. Definitely. Yeah. Couldn't have said and it I, I do think that's why your guys's podcast is, is very interesting from a listening as, aspect because you guys, sometimes you get off topic, you get off tangent and you sometimes. start talking about personal stuff that the audience doesn't already like always know, but it, it helps us learn who you guys are. And I think that that's very important. And, you know, especially in a podcast or a YouTube video to have people know who you are. And I, I just think you guys do a really good job of that. And I, you know, I just, I don't know that you guys get enough credit for it. Well, thanks Glenn. No, I really Thank appreciate you. that because, you know, Thank as you. you can see, we kind of just hit record and, and go. And yeah. that's kind of what we like because, all of our text messages back and forth, you know, there you don't script text message conversations. You just like go, you just talk, you just let it fly back and forth. And that's kind of what we wanted this to be, to be like, like, Hey, like, let's just let it fly. Let's let our guests talk. Let's let our, you know, we're not going to try to make it about us. This is not about us. It's about our guests. And, you know, sometimes some of our episodes about our, are about us and we're normally making fun of one another, you know, each other. So, you know, we, we're really trying to get that across. And again, to have a guy like you, not only not a guy from the States, but from Canada uh, that has taken an interest in our podcast and enjoyed it and, and listens to it. I know awesome. we support you and, and we, we, we absolutely appreciate your support of the podcast. Well, I, I appreciate that back. And I think I kind of follow what you guys are doing. I like the fact that you guys just press record and go that comes across in your podcast and we try to do that with our videos when we catch a fish i don't try to do a ton of cuts i try to keep it or as right, organic like the, the, as the cut to like here's what mm. i did on this you know like with holding the fish like where you're yeah. explaining no i, I agree like you, yeah, you guys we don't try do to the keep scripting. it so that people can see that this is i always use the hashtag this is real life we try to do it as real as we possibly can and show you what we do while we're doing it from the net, holding, release. So there's no camera trickery. We're not taking wide angle photos. We're not, we're not trying to trick anybody into thinking we're doing something we're not. 
And I think that translates to people just, they, they associate, you know, we're just real. We're down to earth. We're real. We're very humbled by a lot of it. And, you know, I know we don't get super excited on, on our episodes when we catch a fish, but when we get a big fish, we're pretty excited. So, you know, it, it, it's kind of one of those things where we just try to keep it as real as we possibly can and just not try to trick people. And I think that's what you guys do with your podcast. And I just, I think at the end of the day, that always translates better. And just to kind of follow up on that, I look at my YouTube analytics and when we catch a fish and I go back and I play that little montage in slow motion for all the made for TV guys that love that, guess what happens to my retention right there? It just freaking tanks. Uh. Nobody on YouTube wants to see that crap. They want to see the catch. They want to see what you did. And when I do my breakdowns, the retention comes back up. So they don't care about all that weird camera angles, the gunnel cam, slow motion, super slow. Nobody cares. They just they want the information. Mm -hmm. At least our audience does. And I just think that that keeping it real stuff is so important. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I definitely think you're onto something with the the queen hunt. I think so. <laughs> yeah, too. I like it. Because I know that's where I'm kind of at in my musky fishing career where, you know, we, here I feel like the the bar slides like 10 inches lower than in Canada. But, you know, you get 30, 35s all day long and I'd rather have one 45 than yeah. know, 10, 10, 35. So. Yeah, absolutely. And we did a video on that. Would you rather come to Canada and have multiple 40s? or one over 50 and like everyone's one over 50 yeah. today. I shook off like a 36 at the side of the boat. <clears throat> that fish isn't going to help my musky career <laughs> nowhere. <laughs> so I don't need to put that on a video. Nobody wants to see that on a video. Nobody wants to see that on a bump board. Nobody wants to see it in a picture on Instagram. It just doesn't serve what we do. So I think you're right. The hunt for Queenie, maybe that's what 54 bus is doing next year. We'll see. I like oh, it. I like I, it. Yeah, I would I would definitely be into in to follow that. Because I, I like the different aspects. Like, you know, we had the muskies on tap guys on, and I love that they're doing the, the PMTT tournament aspect. And that's something that, you know, the average angler doesn't get a, a you know, a, a, a glimpse into very often. And the average, average angler doesn't get a glimpse into the hunt for a 54 inch fish, like a legit hunt for a 54 inch fish, like a guy, guys like you could. Right. There's not a, not a lot of bodies of water where you have a legitimate chance at that. Right. No, that's right. And excuse me for us up here, the West arm of Eagle Lake, deep, clear trout water, big fish sit there. It's low density. You're going to go out and you're going to get pounded and you might see a fish or two a day. But when you see one, it's like, it's a knee knocker. It's like, I've seen those mid 50 fish out there and, those are the ones that when you see them, like you said, Nick, it's following your Royal Orba and you're just like, son of a bitch, that's a big fish. And that yeah. that's why we go back. I, and I do that. think, yes, I want that. <laughs> and I think following somebody through that journey and if, if we were able to ever catch one, and that's another question I get asked all the time, what happens when you get a 54? What's 54 bus? I'm like, then we're on to 55. I, right. I don't know. You just keep going. But I'm like... I I want to get that. And that's why we called it 54 bus because 
yeah, 50 is great, is great. And everybody wants a 50, but they're a lot easier to come by than a 54. And it, it, it's, it's, it's like that target that's almost not attainable for most guys. And for us, yeah, we're on 54 inch water, but you don't see them all the time. So it, there's something there that keeps people going. So it, it's something that we'll definitely look at in the future. And I do think that we have such a great community that they would probably follow along. I always forget our tigers, 54 inches too. Yep. They fall right into the yeah. musky class. So you can't, you can't keep them. I, nobody keeps them anyway. Right. So you just get a replica made. And yeah. <clears throat> again, everybody's like, well, <clears throat> do you get a replica made of, of your biggest musky? I'm like, not unless it's 54. I mean, like that would just be, I wouldn't be serving myself if I did that. Right. Right. You see down, I mean, obviously down here, 50 inches is the, is the absolute, you know, magical mark where up there, 54 is the magical mark. So for our listeners that are wondering where 54 or bust comes from, you know, from down here in the States that have never been up to, you know, these big, big, big fish waters, they have a minimum of 54 inches. Is it Ontario Think about wide that. that's 54 or is it? Uh, uh, no, it's just Florida's all the big. are a little lower, aren't they? Yeah, it's the big, the big main musky lake. So in our area, Canyon Lake, Indian Lake chain is a 40 inch size limit, but all the major musky waters is 54 inch size limit to keep. Again, nobody keeps them. You're going to get a replica made, but yeah, to kind of back you up there, Owen, that's where 54 bus came from. There's so many plays on the 50 inch club, the 50, this 50, that right, 50 finder 50. Yeah. You know. We were like, what's the next step? And we just kind of stumbled across the 54 bust and it it's worked really well. And it's, it's again, it's that target that's almost not quite attainable that I think gives it that lot of, you know, that intrigue that it it's cool enough that it would be, you know, a series of videos or, or just a lifetime accomplishment to get that. Because I know a lot of great musky anglers up here that are some of the best guys I know that have never caught a legal. And that, again, that's something that we call them up here. We don't ever really call them 54s. It's I got to get a legal, you know, you want your shot at a legal musky and Eagle Lake produces on average three to six a season. So like that's rarefied air if you can get into that kind of club up here. Now yeah. is that three to six that you hear about, or yeah. I mean, do you feel like you you feel like you have a pretty good feel for it? Like if if they happen, you'd hear about it. Yeah, I think the musky guys up here. If if somebody catches one of those big ones, like Danny Herbeck got a fifty six and a half last year. Like Ooh. everybody hears about that. Um, Trevin, kid, local kid, used to guide at Andy Myers. He's he got a couple over fifty four. You hear about it? There might be the odd guest that comes up here that maybe doesn't say anything, but like, who, who's a musky angler that comes to Canada catches illegal and is not going to talk about it in today's world? I, like, we're going to hear about it. So yeah, there's just not a ton of them caught. Not many musky hermits. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's too too many egos in the musky world for them to hide that. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, guys, any uh any anyone want to follow up with any any final questions here as we begin to kind of wrap things up here? Because this has been this has been enlightening all the way around. Yeah. From the weather, you know, to structure to you you name it, man. I've 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 enjoyed this. 
Absolutely. I yeah, can tell the Canada awesome. squad's all fired up now. <laughs> Ready to go. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, one Absolutely. thing I would say as we kind of wrap it up is for guys that are planning a trip to Canada, Shield Lakes, it's another question I get asked, when should I come? Short answer, when you can, just come. It doesn't matter when you come. The weather's going to be the weather. You can't control it. But if you want to get summer peak around the 20th of July, if you can time that in with a new moon, which I like better than a full moon or a full moon, that's going to be, generally speaking, summer peak patterns. Your bucktail, the start of that good topwater bite, the weeds are going to be up. You're going to have like really stable water conditions. So if, if you want to hit primetime summer, 20th of July, thereabouts, and try and time a moon on it, that can go about as late as like the 5th to 8th or 10th of August. And then from there, we're going to start getting cold fronts. If you want to hit a fall bite that's pretty consistent, that second to third week of September is generally where the fish start to roll up shallow. You might, you know, have to fight some weather, but that can be a pretty consistent and a really good bite. And on the front side of the season, we typically don't get excited until about the 4th to 7th of July. So those first two weeks of the season it can be anybody's game based on the weather and where the fish are in the spawn. I know a lot of guys that want to come up at the beginning of the season because they're all antsy and that's just typically not the best fishing time up here. So that that's just kind of a good ballpark for guys planning a trip. And if you want to plan a late fall trip and you're trying to hit like primetime sucker bite, if the lodge you're going to offers that kind of stuff or you're planning on it, plan about the 18th or 20th of October until like that first couple days in November. And most lodges are closed into November anyway, other than the guys like Andy Myers that might stay open. And after that, you're looking at trolling, but yeah, the main sucker bite is around the starts around the 20th of October. So if any of our, when is it technically closed? Is it December 10th or 31st? December 31st. Oh, we fished one year until the 27th of November, and I think we could have fished the following week, but Dave was out of town, so we probably could have fished to like the 5th of December, I think, but we didn't. The last few years, it's usually around uh, the 11th to 14th of November, we're froze out. I just had a question and I uh, just lost it. Sorry, I cut you to... off. No, 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 no. Um, I'm trying to trying to think what it was. It You'll was... Oh, to... it it was uh it was basically so if our listeners a want to follow your youtube channel it, we can say it's 54 or bust you can just go on youtube type in 54 or bust it's going to pop up there if somebody wanted to reach out to you and say hey we're coming up to the lake of the woods or we're coming up to eagle lake and we'd love to fish with glenn book one of those 10 trips for the year yeah how does that happen <laughs> Okay, I'll give you my wife's number, and then you contact her, and she'll say it's either a yay or nay. <laughs> She's the boss. Yeah, isn't she? Aren't they always? Um, yep. Look me up on socials, Glenn McDonald or Fifty Four Bus. You'll find me on Instagram or Facebook, and I respond to messages through there. Uh, if guys want to give me a call, eight zero seven five two nine four zero three four. Shoot me a text. No and- dirty text messages. No, my wife will see those too. 
<laughs> and I, I love talking fishing. And if you go on the YouTube channel, there's an email link there. Send me an email. I get a ton of guys reaching out through the YouTube stuff or through social media. And I love talking muskies with them. I'll give away as much information as I can without basically giving you my GPS spots. And I love fishing with guys, especially through the YouTube stuff that want to come up and fish with us. That's fun. But I do have to limit my guide days because I just, I got to balance family work. I need some free time for myself and we're all kind of in that same boat. You you got to make sure you have a healthy lifestyle. And, and that's part of it for me is just, you know, trying to find that healthy balance and having my priorities kind of in the right place. That's very that's well good. said. Yeah. Very, well, very well thank said. you very much for coming on again, Glenn. Absolutely, yeah, thanks, man. Glenn. And, and coming up to your area is kind of a bucket list uh, type of a trip for, for us because being on the eastern side of the states, it's not like we're in Minnesota or Wisconsin where we can shoot straight north. You know, I think to get to you would probably be in excess of a 24 hour drive for us. Uh, although we could fly to International Falls and get some type of a rental or something like that to get up into your area. But, man, that's that's a bit of a hike for us. But that is 100 percent bucket list trip for me lifetime. Yeah. yeah. And if you guys ever do come up here, I know we talk a lot off of the air of this and, and I think we'll kind of keep that going. Just, you know, hit, hit, hit me up. I'll try and help you guys as much as we can. And the cool thing about a podcast like yours and about social media is that we all get to kind of live vicariously through one another. And I love seeing the content that you guys put out and seeing what, you know, Ryan's out fishing and that's just, it's a different world where you guys are from, from us. And it's just, it's really cool, especially the musky guys, because, you know, a lot of you guys can fish so much earlier in the year and that fish that Owen caught on the, the top line baits, uh, Twitch bait, that was like four months before we can even yeah. consider getting our stuff out. <laughs> right. That so, was like early April. Yeah. That was like in yeah. mid April. Mm -hmm. So like I'm living vicariously through you, through your posts and don't discount that even though we're in like the heart of the musky country, I'm watching what everybody else is doing. And there's a lot of like really good anglers out your way. And, and because of social media, a lot of them are getting more and more of a presence. And I think that that's great. And I do think that guys like you who bring other anglers on and builders and people from the industry, it's great because I, I just think there's so many talented musky anglers and talented people in the industry that, you know, just need to be heard a little bit. So like, keep up what you guys are doing. I love it. I'm glad to be on here again. And hopefully, you know, a couple of years down the road, we'll wrap up the hunt for Queenie and I'll have either <laughs> broke all my musky rods or I'll have a replica behind me. But either way, I'll tell you what, it'll be one hell of a YouTube series. Uh -huh. And we're going we're gonna to be following it the whole time and we'll have all you 10 back seasons. on, brother. Worst it case better not be 10 seasons. <laughs> I'll have nothing left. Worst case, you can come to Pennsylvania. It's way easier to get a 40-inch legal here. Yeah, uh -huh. forty inch league. I think I'd just probably stay home. <laughs> I'm taking a at Pimey, they only have to be thirty. Yeah, you can have 30? two a day at thirty. Yeah, and you could keep two. Kids wouldn't even want that. Yeah, you could keep two in one day if you'd like. <laughs> Those are for the smoker. 
Well, Glenn, thank you again, man. This has been a blast. We've really appreciated your support throughout the, you know, the past year and a half of the podcast. And, you know, dude, you're just a good dude. And, you know, we're, we support you and we'll be following you on the hunt for Queenie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I appreciate that guys. I appreciate the invite. I appreciate all the support and, it's too bad Ryan wasn't here because I appreciate kind of his little hookup with Todd Leoparty. Stuff like that just can't be understated. And again, you guys just keep up the good work. You guys are definitely something special. I look forward to listening every week, even though, you know, some weeks it might be a, a guest that I'm not totally into. I listen because there's always something cool or there's something that I'm going to laugh at inside there. And I just think you guys are on the right track. And I just, we can't take ourselves too serious as musky anglers because right. once we do that, we're going to lose kind of touch of what it's supposed to be. And it's supposed to be for fun. And I always try to take the ego stuff away from it. And you guys do such a good job of just keeping it, you know, down to earth. And like, like I always use hashtag, this is real life and you guys are real life. And I love it. Thanks. I appreciate Glenn. that. Thanks, man. Thank That's you an awesome for the compliment. kind words. Appreciate All it. Right. Man. Good luck for the rest of the season, brother. Yeah. And uh, we'll be yep. following along and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Go right, get guys. that 54. Yeah. Absolutely. 54 bus, brother. Yeah. Just I don't want to catch it this year because I, I need the series to start. So yeah. Save the 54. <laughs> just all save right, that guys. footage. Just save that footage. Yeah. That's all. All right. Good night. All right, guys. guys. Thanks, Glenn. See you around. I had to shake them on my last case. Big O don't play. O don't play.